Our scripture today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 50. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me, and therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Recently, a good friend of mine turned 40, and his wonderful wife, he married way over his head. And if you knew who he was, you would know why I say that. Every good man says that, but this guy really married way over his head. And she planned this fantastic birthday dinner amidst COVID and everything else, and it was like a reunion. So as much fun as it was to tell stories about him, and to tell memories about him, and then, you know, to do a roast and toast about him, the greatest part of the night for me was hanging out around the table with friends that I had not seen in years, and we began to share incriminating stories about the other person. I found myself being the one catching the brunt of about 80% of these stories, and I was so glad it was not my 40th birthday. I remembered a story that was brought up by a friend of mine who grew up with me in Wichita Falls, Texas. And he said, hey Baker, do you remember that time we went mudding? And I immediately just dropped my head and thought, I remember that time. And what happened was this, we had uh, three of us who were incredibly brave and a little bit stupid, and we decided that an old high mileage forerunner could handle uh, lake mudding. Anybody familiar with lake mudding? Now, this is different from ranch mudding. I've been ranch mudding, 
where it rains a lot, Texas rain, a good Texas rain, and it makes the ground soggy, and because it's mostly dry, the dirt turns to mud, and now you can finally take that gigantic truck that you drive around the city and make some use of it. We bought four-wheel drive, and we never knew why. It was for mudding. That's the only reason we have the four-wheel drive. Well, this Toyota 4Runner is not built for that. You're familiar with Toyota 4Runners. It's an SUV, but it has four-wheel drive. And so the three of us decided at our bright young age of 17 years old that we were going to take this thing lake mudding. There's a lot more water at a lake. And my father had warned me, not once, not twice, many times, don't go mudding. It can cause injury. It can destroy the vehicle. And it's technically not legal either. I disregarded that and we went out. I bet you can imagine how the story's going to end. We got as close to the lake as we could because that's where the best mud was. And within 10 minutes of this great endeavor, we had completely and totally flooded the engine. You familiar with what that is? I am now. (laughs) The water was in mud was all the way up to the mid part of the doors of the car. And in um, terrible, um, stupefied, slightly dumb, donkeyish groupthink, we just kept going. We just kept going. There's mud flying everywhere. We can't even see out the windshield. And all of a sudden, we hear the and we start to sink. We got stuck. And as soon as we got stuck, do you know what happened? We'll rock, paper, scissors. Because the same thing my father had told me, those guys' fathers had told them too. And whoever lost rock, paper, scissors was going to have to call their dad. I didn't lose. My father's here. And this could be the first time he's ever heard this story. (laughs) We got stuck. Because we disobeyed our father's voice. And then the really sticky thing happened. That the one that we had disobeyed and offended was our only hope for getting out. That's Israel's state. It's our state too. Where we have desires that are a little bit rogue and they lead us to disobedience that ends up in us being destitute. And often we, like Israel, in this passage, in Isaiah 49 and 50, what we tend to do is not take ownership of the fact that we have contributed to our stuckness, but we tend to say something really crazy like, how did you let this happen to me, O God? As if we confuse who it is that has done the forsaking and who it is that actually is forsaken. And so this passage has three voices. You have the voice of Israel. You have the response of the Lord God. And then you have this beautiful conclusion, which is the voice of the servant. 
And the question that's being begged in this passage is, can a stuck person become unstuck? Can disobedience be undone? And that's my question to you. I guess really two things is, are you stuck and can it? Now, let me say this. There's a stuckness that's a stuckness of being um, a person who lives in a fallen world. Okay, these are things like a health diagnosis that we never saw coming, that we then learn of, and it's a result of our heredity. Um, An economic crash that causes a crumbling business that leads us to having to sell our home and move our family. Um, Maybe a virus that makes its way across from the other side of the world and completely upends what we know is normal life. We feel stuck, don't we? That's not this kind of stuckness. That's fallen world stuckness. This is addressing fallen man stuckness, where desires lead to disobedience that leads to us feeling completely and utterly destitute. And so the good news of this passage in here in Holy Week is as we engage this thought of our stuckness and our contribution to it, that there is good news. There is the voice of the servant that will come in the end. But first, I want you to hear the voice of Israel. Isaiah 49, 14 says this, but Zion said, and Zion is a reference to Israel. They're often referred to that way. And this is, this is the phrase, this is the tagline. The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And so from the beginning, what this is going to become is not actually about their sin. But it's calling into question and putting God on trial about his care and his promises. And their voice doesn't last long. Because in verse one it says, thus says the Lord, he's gonna respond. And what do you think he's gonna do? He's gonna call their accusations into question. He says this, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I've sold you? What he's saying is this, when when God responds, he's calling their accusations into question. Who is the one forsaking and who is the forsaken one, Israel? Show me the certificate of divorce with which I sent you away. The answer is there's not one. Because I promised that I would never leave you nor forsake you. And where is the bill of sale with which I gave a creditor and discarded you and sold you away? And the answer is there's not one. For inherent to the very promise that I gave to your grandfather Abraham and has carried through to this day is that you are my beloved son. I have bought you in full and I will not sell you to another. You are not forsaken. You are forsaking. And so he says, behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. God had not forsaken them. They had forsaken him. 
They're stuck because of their own desires that led to disobedience, that led to destitution. And so when God first speaks to stuck Israel, he begins this way, and this is what Holy Week does in us too, if we will allow it. It elicits confession. It is requiring that we take ownership. Because you know what? As heavy-handed as that may feel, we like to skip over that part, don't we? But confession is the key to the engine. It does not make the thing run, and it does not lead to movement and to joy, but you can't get the engine going without it. Before God removes and forgives our sin, he leads us through it. Because he knows that we're not really going to be fully rescued unless we face it. And so he does that here. He calls her accusations into question and said, it's not me who has forsaken you, it is you who has forsaken me. But he doesn't stop there, does he? In verse two and three, he carries on. And he says this, now now listen, is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I I make rivers in the desert. The fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness. I make sackcloth their covering. And so what he's doing is this, is he's saying, my hand hasn't been shortened that you cannot be redeemed. I have not been deemed powerless that I cannot deliver you. Consider everything around you. I control it all. And so it's also beautiful that in Holy Week, as we enter into this season of confession and can really feel the weight of our stuckness and want to run away from it, it creates in us a sense of powerlessness. And what he's beckoning us to do is not to turn away, not to minimize and deny, but to remember him who has the power to redeem what needs be bought back. His arm has not been shortened that it cannot redeem. As a matter of fact, a consistent theme throughout the minor and the major prophets of the Old Testament, and really, if you go to the Psalms, the hymn book of the people of Israel that that he's speaking to, There's a consistent theme that runs throughout that says, I will deliver them out of the hand of wickedness. I will redeem them from the grasp of darkness of the wicked one of evil. In other words, this isn't new. God is in the business of taking us through confession into a place of complete forgiveness and freedom. But how? An unstuck person, a stuck person can't make themselves unstuck, and disobedience can't be undone. It demands that there has to be someone who pays for the sin, and it demands that there's someone who can be obedient. Otherwise, it's just stuck in the mud. And so that's why the servant's portion is so beautiful. It answers the question how. 
In verse four, the servant begins. And I want to do it this way. I want you to hear the prophet. He's going to personify himself as, his, as if he is the servant. It just switches. You'll see a quotation closed, and then it just switches to the prophet speaking. But this is the third of the servant songs of Isaiah, and he's going to speak as if he is the servant. But I also want to borrow words from the servant to help you see how someone could pay for the sins and get them back and someone who could undo disobedience. And so the prophet Isaiah speaks as though he's personifying the servant, and he says this, the Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. And then the servant says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's Matthew eleven twenty eight. And the prophet goes on, morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear. And the servant says, I've called you friends. Everything that I hear from my Father, I make known to you. And the prophet goes on and says, I was not rebellious, I turned not backward. And the servant says, He who sent me is with me, He has not forsaken me, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. John 8, 29. And the prophet says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten anyone. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. 1 Peter 2, 22 through 24. They needed another to pay for sin in their place. They needed another to be obedient so that their disobedience would be completely undone. And Jesus Christ, the servant of God, did just that. And he was stuck. He was forsaken. And he did it willingly. Because he had the power to redeem, to buy us back. And his arm hadn't been shortened to deliver us. Not for his disobedience, but for ours. And so he goes on to say the Lord God is his help. And he goes on to say that the Lord God will vindicate him. And we're told that though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but he emptied himself 
and he took the form of a what? Servant. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient. To the point of death, even death on a cross. For as by the one man's disobedience, that would be us, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the servant, the obedient servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, so now many can be made righteous. Friends, I want us to respond appropriately today. In the same way that Israel's being called to by the voice of the Lord and the voice of the servant. Confess. Remember. Receive. And then respond with obedience. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light, let him who is stuck and cannot find his way out, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. This only we will do through the obedient servant, Jesus Christ. Take time now in silence. Confess, remember, and receive the grace offered in him. Amen.